the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. If we say to ourselves, let us fight disease by locking ourselves in our homes and lifestyling everything from an epidemiological standpoint, this makes no sense to us. We say, you fight the disease by herd immunity. Herd immunity happens by people interacting. If you lock them in their houses, they're not interacting. You flatten the curve. You lengthen the disease cycle. Well, you could get a secondary peak. We're, we're the guinea pigs right now. We've never done this before. Right. Do you recognize that voice? It may be hard to recognize his face because somebody doesn't want to let you see who he is. He is Dr. Daniel Erickson, emergency physician and co-owner of the Accelerated Urgent Care Facility, where he gave a press conference not too long ago, which was videoed and which was loaded up onto YouTube with 5 million views only then to be summarily deleted by YouTube for allegedly contravening the Google universe's community guidelines. And strangely enough, what happened next? He became a star of those who believe in common sense and facts when it comes to the Chinese Wuhan coronavirus. We had him on the show last week for two segments. We posted the interviews on YouTube, and within 24 hours... They were deleted. So what do we do? Do we give up? Do we melt like snowflakes? No, indeed. We invite him back for a whole hour. Dr. Daniel Erickson, are you there? I'm here. Um, <laughs> what is it like? I mean, you're, you're just a doctor that's giving factual briefings, information out to the American people. And now you, you've got this reputation amongst certain individuals as this, this black sheep, this pariah. Is this what you expected when you were just talking to your fellow Americans about the facts between, oh, I don't know, Norway and Sweden and how they've coped with the coronavirus? Well, I have to say, anybody who's doing research and speaking out, uh, whether no matter what your topic is, the guys at Stanford, uh, USC, uh, they're getting attacked, they're getting vilified, and they're saying, you know, we have degrees in this field, we're doing research, and people are acting like I'm some yahoo, you know, doing experiments in my garage. So this is, this is we're being attacked down political lines. Uh, people are attacking us based on their political ideology, because if you come at me with facts, I've, I've got lots of data now from epidemiologists and from biostatisticians that are really uh, sort of standing behind the kind of ideas we set forth. And, and I, don't, I don't know that it's about facts anymore, because I think the facts really speak for themselves. Yes, they do. So let's, let's walk through 
all the key things that, that we can use to buttress your arguments, your observations, and also the naysayers that want to censor the facts. So first things first, who is Dr. Daniel Erickson? At the beginning of your original video that was deleted, you talked about the fact that you'd studied virology, you'd studied epidemiology, you work in, in uh, um, emergency care. Um, who, who are you and what's your training? What do you do today? Well, I'm a health science major from La Sierra University. I graduated cum laude in health sciences. What does that mean? I took biology, microbiology, one year of biochemistry. I took organic chemistry. I took general chemistry. So I had a, a undergraduate degree that was heavy in the sciences. Then I got into medical school, Western University. This is a DO university and did four years there where I took cadaveric dissection. I took biochemistry, again, reaffirming what I had in undergraduate, and, and then you know continued to study through medical school. I've done two full cadaveric dissections, which is basically you're taking these, you know, these preserved bodies and studying them from the, the tip of your toe to the top of your head and taking examinations on them so that you understand how the body works. And so I, I did a four-year residency, uh, one year rotating, three years in emergency medicine, and people said you misrepresented yourself as an ER doctor. Whatever you do your residency in is what you are. For instance, I'm not a rheumatologist. I'm not a neurosurgeon. I'm not a family practice doctor. I trained and bled for four years to meet an emergency physician. Do I work in the ERs? No, I don't. Did I for years? Yes, I did. So what am I now? I own seven facilities throughout California. We see patients you know, from eight in the morning till midnight, seven days a week. We test patients. We help uh, employers test their patients. I'm an entrepreneur. I run the business now. I occasionally see patients when we get backed up. So my life really now has become more of an entrepreneur providing health care from all aspects of society to Medi-Cal, to PPOs. We do, we do telemedicine so that I can come into your home if you don't want to get out. So we're, we're really trying to give, give the customer a really good product. We follow up with our patients every day. We make sure they're doing well. So the customer service is really high, and I'm part of the reason uh, that that happens. Fabulous. So, And then give us the circumstances of the 50-minute video that was posted and the one that garnered millions and millions of views before it was deleted by YouTube. Uh, I, I've watched the original version. I downloaded it. So, oops, Ooh, YouTube, I have the audio. So you can come and get me. You can try. And there is a, clearly a journalist or two in the room pushing back on you. Why did that video occur? What were the circumstances of that briefing? Well, the different stations were parked outside my building, and they would, they would periodically say, hey, what do your numbers look like? So I said, well, I called the press conference, and I said, the three major networks, I said, why don't we get together, and I'll review my raw data, my data that has not been biostatistically analyzed. I said, I'm just going to present what I'm seeing. It's an opinion-based piece. So I said, we had done 5,213 tests. We had done 340 positives. This is a PCR test. It's a nasal swab. It's a yes or no. It's, it does not test immunity. And this is my raw data. And I said, it's about 6.5% 6 of the population. If we do some, some specula speculating on this, you know, California would have a couple million cases. And then, you know, Stanford came out and looked at the Santa Clara study and said, you know, we're finding probably 50 to 80,000 cases are on, based on our predictive model, whereas the the, you know, the county shows, you know, 956, I think it was. So basically just saying, 
I think there's a lot more out there. We won't know until this whole thing is through. You asked for my opinion. I'm giving it to you. Um, and then, you know, I think people really uh, took it the wrong way. I was, I was trying to give a small community of 900,000 people a sense of what's going on. So I said the hospitals are, have low census. I called their CEOs. They said, we have ICU beds. We have surge capacity. We're ready for this. So I wanted the community to know we're ready. We've only seen 340 positives out of thousands and thousands. I want people to know it's prevalent, but the hospitals and the real sick people, we're not seeing a lot of that. So I was trying to give a basic overview so people understood what's happening in Kern County. And I chose to do it through that media. Had no idea that it would get sent out. The one post we sent out is at 12 million views. And, uh, you know, it's gone all around the world now. So, yeah, did not anticipate that at all. Why is it you, there's a point in which in, in the in the film where you start gesticulating, you say you, you put your arms wide and say lots and lots of testing or lots and lots of cases, small amounts of actual fatalities or talk to us wh why the number of people who have it asymptomatically is important and why the number why why the the potential of a lot of people but very few fatalities is also important. Well, I think, you know, uh, I, I read the, the CDC reports daily, and I know they just readjusted their volume yes. down to 30, 37,000, as you know. And the reason they did that was because a lot of people that get, that get flu, that get COVID, they die of other things. For instance, pneumonia. They die of acute respiratory distress syndrome. They die of hypoxia, sepsis, multiple other things they die from. So I think we have to be real clear on what we're reporting. And, you know, some of the reports from the coroners out of New York are reporting every single patient coming in with a COVID diagnosis. That is that is not the most accurate way to do it. And so I'm just basically being a messenger from what I'm hearing around the country and saying, you know, it's important that we know this is widespread and that a lot of people, they call them asymptomatic carriers. That's just a healthy person who's developing immunity to this. And a lot of people have had it, are immune to it. And we haven't, the, the uh, serology test that we, that's been developed about two weeks ago, we just started it in my area. It's a, it's a blood test and it tests for IgG. The IgG uh, immunoglobin peaks at five to seven days per the MD PhD immunologist that I spent an hour with, who I won't mention because he asked me not to. And he said, um, here's the data. And so he said, we'll know more as we do more testing. We'll be able to see that a lot of people are indeed immune and had little to no symptomatology. So I wanted people to understand 95% of people pretty much get over this and do really well with it. And so uh, that's why I was, I was looking to a different model, i.e. Sweden, to say Dr. Gisecki, Dr. Tegnell Anders have said, all our kids under 16 are in school. All of our, most of our businesses are functioning. We're practicing some social distancing, mask wearing, groups under 50 are limited. They have a real common sense approach. That's, and that's, that's your mistake. Common sense can get you in trouble today. We're talking to Dr. Dan Erickson. Um, one of the key aspects of your original vi video before it was deleted with millions and millions of views was this concept that, that had been floating around in the media, Doctor, of, of herd immunity. And your video, I have to say, as somebody who's been following this very closely as a national radio host, yours was the cl clearest explication of what herd immunity is and why it's important. Will you, will you explain to our listeners again uh, what 
staying at home and isolating yourself does to your immune system and what the concept of herd immunity means when you're facing a virus. So since my video, I've really been watching the epidemiologists and infectious disease doctors and really asking and listening to how they're answering questions. And Dr. Witowski, who is a brilliant biostatistician out of New York, I said, I said, is there good data for this sort of shelter in place? I, mean, I, I understand the original concept of we saw what was happening in Wuhan and said, let's, let's separate ourselves. Let's see what happens. And after a couple months of data, I said, Dr. Witowski, do you think we should be sheltering in place? And his answer was, all that will do was slow. It will flatten the curve, which lengthens the disease process. So how does herd immunity work? Herd immunity is we do we do this every year where the influenza comes in we share it with each other some people are vaccinated which gets them it gives them igg immunity which is long-term immunity and some people um, get the virus from other people and usually when the community gets 60 to 80 percent is what the epidemiologists have told me the virus burns out so the vaccine helps us get to a a position of herd immunity where the virus burns out quicker that's the benefit of the vaccine you don't have the vaccine, then it's spread person to person uh, until it gets to a level where it doesn't have enough people to jump to and it dies out. So when you flatten the curve, you essentially lengthen the disease cycle. And we haven't really done this before. So the epidemiologists are tell me, telling me we could get a secondary spike. Why? Because, you know, people look at, say, Norway versus Sweden. And they say, aha, you see less death. And the epidemiologists go, well, of course, everybody's cowering in their homes. So as we come out from our sterile environment, our Lysol wipe down counters, our, our, you know, people not touching each other situation, this virus will probably indeed spike. And our hospitals in Kern County have surge capacity. They are ready. I've talked to them. So uh, herd immunity, the, the virus doesn't care if you're hiding. The virus will get herd immunity no matter what we do. And the epidemiologist, Dr. Giseki, infectious disease, world-renowned, has said, you know, I don't think it's going to matter much. So my question is, if it's not going to matter much whether we sheltered in place, should we be destroying the economy and dropping 2 to $4 trillion? Is the collateral damage indeed worse than the virus itself? That is the, what the president asked in a tweet about a month ago is the cure worse than the disease. In the last few minutes we have with you, Dr. Erickson, in this segment, also explain to us, because this was fabulous in your original video, um, some people say it's never going to be the same. We're going to come out of this and we're not going to shake hands and we'll be wiping everything down with Lysol. What does it do if to our immune system if we perpetuate these concepts of an aseptic world? I, I, I like the using the child example. When you're, a, when you're a little child crawling on the ground, you're putting stuff in your mouth, you're picking up viruses and bacteria. You form antigen antibody complexes and your immune system is built. If you isolate a child in some kind of a hamster roller and don't allow their immune system to build, you indeed weaken them. So this is not, this is not a policy I've ever read about in my microbiology, and I'm not exactly sure where it's coming from. But that's not to say, and let's be clear, because we know the trolls are already getting ready, Dr. Erickson. This doesn't mean that those who are vulnerable, those who are immunosuppressed, shouldn't be protected or shouldn't be isolated in some way. What we're talking about is healthy individuals and how a healthy immune system operates. Is that correct? 
That's correct, and and everybody knows that. It's it's when you have an illness, everybody knows you stay away from grandma. And if you have someone who's on immune, you know, modulatory drugs, that's this is common sense. You 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 protect the elderly and the immune compromised. You isolate the sick. You don't isolate the healthy. Yeah, it is again common sense. Something that in the last few weeks has seemed to be incredibly rare on the ground. Uh, let's proceed. I, I don't want to get you in trouble because you've walked the line of just facts, 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 common sense. Let me test on you my biggest problem. I'm not a doctor of of medicine. I'm a PhD of political science. But as as far as health policy goes. And you must have studied health policy uh, as as a, as a professional health pro- professional. The biggest problem to me seems this one size fits none idea that we have hot zones across the country. We have a global hot zone in New York, and South Dakota has to follow the same kind of guidelines as Manhattan. Surely, when you have a whole state like South Dakota that has nine fatalities nine fatalities from the coronavirus, there should be some kind of differentiation where the most vulnerable have to be sequestered and everybody else can get back to work. Um, I'm not going to ask you to qualify that unless you wish to, but from the point of view of a health professional, what is the biggest obvious lesson learned already in our national response? Yeah, I I think you you said it right. I'm going to use California as an example. I live in a rural community. It's one of the biggest counties in California. It's 900,000 people. We're all spread out. We're not on top of each other. We don't ride subways. We're not in high-rise buildings with hundreds of people. We don't have – the streets aren't packed with people. We're in individual cars. We go to work, go to school, and come home. And our, our, you know, uh, the counts, the death counts have been – last week was uh, seven out of almost a million people. And I, I looked at uh, the data last week at the hospitals, and out of all the hospitals reported, there was 14 cases. So I say to myself, I think it's prudent that we look at each county, for instance, L.A. versus Kern County. Yes. L.A. has millions of people. They're on top of each other. They're riding buses. And maybe, maybe they do a little more of a strict uh, policy. And then we, we also watch how many, the, both the incidence and prevalence of disease so and, and make sure we're making good decisions for each county, because, yeah, like you said, when you have a policy the same for New York as Kern County, you end up having these strict policies. They, they've been calling them draconian measures that essentially don't fit the amount of disease we have in Kern County. And so you're locking down businesses. I have people calling me with anxiety, people with depression. I have firsthand families calling me with suicide attempts for their 23 year old son who got laid off and has some, some depression. He took a bunch of pills. He's actually in the hospital, intubated right now. Um, so I, I'm seeing all this, and people say, where's your data? And I say, I'm talking to doctors and people in the community. This is what I'm hearing. I don't, I don't have you know, double-blind, placebo-controlled, peer-reviewed journals to say this. It's only been two months. Yeah. We have to, we have to have, take a rational approach and say, I talked to a doctor in Wisconsin. And he's telling me his side of the story. And then there's a doctor in New York, as you know, uh, Dr. Daniel Murphy, who, who on, he gave a, a public comment. You know, he's had COVID. He said, I've been tracking this for a month now, and the disease is starting to let up. And I think we should go back to work because now the secondary effects of COVID, the out of work, the joblessness, the alcohol, the depression are becoming the major problem and not COVID itself. So we only have a minute with you in this segment left, and then we'll return. But but this is not 
hyperbolic and it's not hypothetical. When we have months of shutdown, when we have people losing their livelihoods, it's incontrovertible, is it not, that the psychological ramifications could be as serious, if not more serious, than those that the actual primary disease causes. In 2008, we saw a very serious spike in, in male suicide rates. Correct, doctor? Well, yeah, and you've got to figure economic collapse affects every single soul yeah. you know, outside of the government. A lot of us uh, aren't getting paychecks. A lot of us are laid off, furloughed, out of work. You know, COVID affects some people. The collateral damage of the economy affects all souls in the economy. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful point. Dr. Erickson, um, it's kind of gone by the wayside to a certain extent, but for the last month it was all about projections, projections, projections. 2.2 million Americans are going to die, that that um, we had to listen to Imperial College, to this individual, Dr. Ferguson, um, and then he, then he said, oops, maybe I was wrong. Constant downgrading by the Institute of Medical uh, Metrics, uh, the Institute of Medical uh, Health uh, Measurements here in the United States. Can you explain to laymen and women why a projection is not necessarily written, you know, the, the Ten Commandments carved by God's finger on stone tablets? I, I think Dr. Giseki uh, and Witowski, I've heard them make some comments about how these projection models are kind of an academic exercise that are rarely accurate. So it kind of gives them a basis to go from when we don't have a lot of good data. I like what uh, my friend, not, not my friend, this is Dr. Scott Atlas. He's a, a senior fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institution. Uh, he argued, and I quote him here, the appropriate policy based on fundamental biology and the evidence already in hand is a more focused strategy that would be to protect the known vulnerable, self-isolate the mildly sick, and open most workplaces and small businesses with some prudent large group precautions. Let's stop under-emphasizing empirical evidence, instead doubling down on hypothetical models. Facts matter. So I, I think that's a pretty appropriate statement that says, you know, let's let's go with what we know. And, and that's what I was trying to do is say, hey, folks, here's my raw data. I'm, I'm transparent. I tested this many. This many are positive. You know, can we can we produce some exacting number from this? No, this is just what I'm seeing. And it's, it's an opinion piece. And then I'm seeing these guys say kind of the same thing. Like, let's 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 not shoot from the hip. Let's take the data we know and make some predictions that are a little more accurate. And there seems to be a, a philosophical misunderstanding, especially amongst the media who say you're not allowed to question anything if a group of doctors says something. Uh, is empirical data, Dr. Erickson, the same as consensus or majority opinion? Surely, surely empirical data is not the same as majority opinion. No, and people people keep asking this. This is a great question that Sweden's had to, to field. They basically said, Sweden, the whole world doesn't agree with you. And Sweden kind of has this attitude of, well, if everyone's jumping off a cliff, you know, <laughs> I, I, I like Sweden. They've pushed back. They've said, listen, we took as, a as common a, as sense. As a Norwegian, you like Sweden? I thought that was a bit I know, of I know. I know, I know. And I've had to, I've <laughs> had to give, I, I have to give credit where credit is due. Sweden has stood as a, as, a, as a bright light. They have shown the truth out there. Their model is working, and it didn't, it didn't crush their explain, economy. Explain their model. What's different about what our Scandinavian friends in Sweden did? 
Okay, Norway, Norway went. Norway has about half the population of Sweden, and they went into a strict lockdown. Sweden obviously said kids under 16 are in school, business are still in play, restaurants are open. We're gonna we're gonna tell the Swedish people that we have a good relationship with that you need to social distance so that we can control how this thing moves through our country. They were prepared for surge capacity. Uh, their death rate was 245 per million. Whereas when I look at the UK, they had a death rate of about 360 per million. So I'm going, UK was in full lockdown, economic freefall, and the results um, did not show much improvement. And this is why I go back to what the epidemiologist, Dr. Uh, Giseki, the great one in Sweden said, this virus is gonna move through these communities no matter what you do. Human beings are social creatures. We will interact, we will have deliveries, we will go see our doctor, pastors will visit patients in the hospital. This disease will move through. So the, the initial lockdown was to control the flow into the hospitals, which we did. And now I'm saying, I think President Trump and Pence and Fauci did a great job initially. Let's slow the control of the virus. And now that we've done that, maybe it's time to pivot and get us open in a stepwise fashion. Dr. Gesecki said it's like coming down a ladder. He said, he, they, well, they asked him, what should the United States do? And he said, open up the schools, watch the disease process. If, if it's well controlled, open up small businesses in a stepwise fashion. That seems rational to me and based on good science. Well, it's happening at least some places in the United States. Florida is already in phase one of their reopening. Tw uh, restaurants, businesses are allowed to reopen at 25% capacity. That seems commonsensical that you're not going to slide down the ladder taking five rungs at a time, but step by step. But we are seeing other states, California and New York, that are saying it could be a year, it could be a year and a half. And Governor Cuomo saying we're going to keep locked down until there's a vaccine. Well, guess what, Governor Cuomo? We don't still have a vaccine for AIDS. So you prepared to keep New York locked down for 30, 40 years? Sheer insanity. Can I? We don't rehearse this. I didn't ask you if I could ask you this question. Can I just probe a little personal detail here? Um, <laughs> what's it been like for you after that video posted? You know, it's it's been a, it's been a media storm. I mean, I've never been on media before. I wow. I have been I've been for eight years. I told my media staff, I don't want to be on our billboards. I don't want to do commercials. I want I want to build a brand for the brand itself. And then now they're laughing at me, going, "Look at you now." I said, "I said I know. I didn't want this. I'm just I was trying to communicate with a small community." And then it went. I mean, I'm getting calls from New Zealand, people from Asia, New York, all over the place, contacting me, and I'm going. Oh, Lord, what happened? I was this private guy just trying to run a good company, and now I have this platform. So I, I just really want to really use it to build, the, build our country back, get us back to work, and, and be part of the solution. You know, I, I really don't want, I, I don't want to stir up things. I want to be part of a solution. That is the American can-do spirit. I, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. Um, would you be open coming back? We've exploited you for a week now, but perhaps in the near future, next week or after that, would you come back and potentially take uh, calls from our listeners about, about coronavirus? Yeah, I, I'd be happy to. I think most of the answers at this point are, are, are pretty straightforward. So, yeah, I'd be happy to. Fabulous. That's the spirit. That's why you have become such a sensation nationally and internationally, because it's not about sensationalism. 
It's not about a narrative, a conventional wisdom that cannot be gainsaid. It's about looking at the facts, the data, asking the simple, correct questions and applying common sense, which is as it should be. And of course, I think it's time for you to visit the White House. We'll keep you posted on that one, Dr. Erickson. Uh, Stay in touch. Keep doing what you do. Follow this man at acceleratedurgentcare.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Hugh Hewitt for townhall.com. President Trump has before him a unique opportunity to put the American manufacturing sector into first gear again while serving notice to the Chinese Communist Party that the United States is fully alert to the competition ahead, ready to respond to the CCP's negligence in handling the current pandemic that began in Wuhan, China. The U.S. Navy celebrated last week with the Navy's selection of the Fincan Terry Marinette Marine to build the first 10 of the fleet's new guided missile frigates, known as the FFGX. It's a lethal missile-filled porcupine of a ship that will provide presence and deterrence across the globe. Nowhere more strategic today than in the South China Sea. President Trump can cement his legacy as a navalist president, alongside John Adams, the two Roosevelts, and Ronald Reagan, by directing the Navy to quintuple their initial order. Some think it will go even higher, but five times the initial mark will be a good start. We are today and will continue to be a maritime nation, a nation desperately in need of this expanding fleet. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.